when it comes to like disaster relief, you know, it's such a great opportunity for the church. So y'all look for those opportunities. You know, I remember when was Hurricane Katrina like 10 years ago? I mean, you guys were like infants back then. 15, was it really? Holy cow. So Hurricane Katrina came through and, and I took groups down for like months to do work. And I'll never forget people coming up and being like, you know, the church is the only people still helping. You know, and it was really something that like inspired a lot of people and brought a lot of people to Christ. So look for opportunities just to help, you know, because sometimes it takes tragedy to bring people to Christ. You know, it's a good opportunity. So uh, I made a bet with somebody last night because this is like a college age class, right? How many of y'all are in college right now? Raise your hand, even if you're on break. How many of you are on break this week? So where do you, where, so you guys go to like, not MTSU, right? Where do you go to school? You, you're not familiar looking. UTC, good for you. You like it? Love it? All right, Who? anybody else who's back from like out of town college? You, where are you? Austin P, anybody else? I know you, yeah, you're Charlie's sister. That's what you go about in my house. But um, so where, where are you at again, Harding, right? Yeah. So does anybody have any cool spring break plans they got going on? And this couple, like, y'all are college age, but you both work, right? Full time? You go to school. Okay. So anybody got any cool spring break plans that I need to know about? Where do you go to school? Freed Hardman. Freed Hardman. Nice. All right. Well, that's boring, but that's all right. Hey, well, <laughs> glad to have y'all back who are here. So for those of you who are visiting and back on spring break, um, the past few weeks we've been studying uh, kind of like an apologetics type class where we're just looking at different um, ways of not necessarily defending our faith but having things to support what we believe. So it's been fun for me because I've had to really like spend a lot of time studying it and it just has really um, it's just helped my faith. I mean it's just been kind of cool so I hope it's been beneficial for you guys. Um, but just like a recap, you know, we've kind of talked about like the Bible, we've talked about Jesus, um, and, and today we're just going to talk about like just some scientific facts that, that, uh, are, are supported in the Bible or that we first hear about in the Bible. So, so we'll spend a little bit, bit of time getting into that. Um, again, you know, one of my things that, that I, I struggle with is uh, I hate seeing all the time this idea of, like, science and God not coexisting. You know, like, that's what we're bombarded with all the time. Like, you either believe in science or you either believe in God. And it's just not, it's not healthy and it's not accurate. You know, and I, and I worry for, for people that are young and still trying to figure out what they believe in. Um, so my hope is to give you guys tools to help other people, right? Like, I know this group is a group that's solid. And I'm going to brag on y'all real quick. So... Um, for those of you who are just visiting, this doesn't apply because I don't know y'all, but no. Uh, for those of you that have been here, so I had some, some two things, two life lessons. One, I had my best friend over last night. Um, and this is my, a guy named Pat who, who I've been best friends with since I was y'all's age. And, and so my thought when I was talking to him is like, I hope the kids in that class, y'all, the young men and young ladies, Start developing those like Christian friendships right now that are going to last you till when you're like old like me. Because when I was 24 hanging out with Pat, I didn't think we'd still, you know, we'd 10, 15, 20 years down the road, we'd be raising kids together and hanging out and still lifting each other up. But man, these people that y'all are with now are probably going to be the ones that are helping you out when you're older. So find those good friends. But 
We were talking, and I, uh, he was asking me what I've been doing at church. I said, I'm teaching a college class. And he was like, well, you know, you're going to have it easy tomorrow because none of them are going to show up because it's spring forward, right? And they're all going to sleep in. And, and I said, it's also spring break, dude. And, and so, so we bet, you know, that there would only be like two or three kids in class. That's what he bet me. And I said, no, this group is a special group. I think it's going to be a packed house. And look, everybody's here. So I'm proud of y'all. Good job. Give yourselves a pat on the back. I get five bucks. <laughs> Did you guys have a hard time getting up this morning? Because all day, like, so my wife kind of, she kind of wooed me this morning, right? I don't know if that is the right context. But um, so she woke up, or last night she was like, oh, by the way, I got to do the nursery tomorrow, so I'm going to go to early service. So I'll just get up early, and, and you can just get the kids to class and late service. I'm like, cool. And then I forgot it was like the whole spring forward thing. So we get up, and we got like 15 minutes, and my kids are running around like a, like, or walking like they're zombies and have never gotten dressed before. And I have this beautiful young daughter named Violet who is just, y'all, she is just precious, but she feels like if she does not get the perfect outfit on, then her day is just not going to work, right? So she is just stomping around. So I got to, like, be honest with y'all. This morning is not pretty, man. Like, I yelled and, like, not really yelled, but I was a mean dad kind of. But we made it here. I blame my wife slightly just because she kind of like took off the day of spring forward, but uh, I'm glad you guys are here. So we're going to study a little bit about just some ideas. So um, I got a, a couple of scripture I'm going to start with. Just like, you know, the idea that we cannot have science in God is, is, is false because we have a God who created science. So I'm going to read a couple of scriptures. In fact, I'm going to have you guys do it. Can somebody read Romans 1.20? And I need somebody just to read Romans 1.1, two really easy verses to read. And this is just the idea of, like, does God have anything to do with science, right? Do I got somebody that's ready? 1.20, yes, sir, go for it. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What does that say to y'all? Does that speak to y'all at all? Because that speaks to me. Because what that tells me is like, for his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature is what mine says. And that speaks to me. That tells me like, God laid all this out that we can study, you know, down the road, but, but it's all his creation. I think sometimes we forget that Man, God created all these things that we're studying, and, and, and it's in the Word. And, uh, you know, so we got Romans 1.20, and then, you know, my favorite thing that just kind of supports, like, can God and science coexist is, is Genesis 1.1. Can somebody read that? In the beginning, I, oh. God created the heaven and the earth. In the beginning... God created the heaven and the earth. So, so to me, like, there's just no doubt. Like, God is science. God, God is the creator of, of heaven and earth. God has these amazing attributes that, that are almost like invisible qualities that we can't even see everything going on. Like, you know, it's just obvious in the Bible. But how do we know it's true? So I, what I'm going to do today is I'm going to go over, and, and you guys may or may not have, have heard of these, these facts before. They're not, like, the most amazing things, but... I'm going to highlight four facts, like scientific facts, that were written in the Bible thousands, hundreds, a lot of times thousands of years before they were proven to be true by science. Like things that, 
that were are now things that we look at and we're like, oh, well, yeah, of course that makes sense. Like that's what we how we know we're supposed to live. But but back in the biblical times, they or, or it, prior to that, they they didn't know these things. You know, so so I think it's neat to know that there's certain facts that that are are uh, proven in the Bible well before science can prove them. So. That's what we're going to look at today and just use those as some things just to build our faith, right? All right, so we're going to do fact one. It's talking about like just Earth and Earth's position in space. So you guys are way muy inteligente. That was not Spanish. That was terrible. You speak Spanish. How do you say it? I went to Costa Rica with you, didn't I? All right, muy inteligente. Is that how you say it? Okay. You guys are smart. Um, and so... What do you know about like the ancient view of, of, of like Earth? What do we know about that? Don't let me down after I just said you're smart. They thought the sun revolved around the Earth. Okay, one thought. Sun revolves around the Earth, right? And that's a pretty common, you can understand why they would think it, right? Like it makes sense. It, it looks like it happens. And what other thoughts do they have? Do you all know any other things that people used to believe about Earth? It was flat. It was flat. Some people still believe it, right? Like flat earthers? Do we have any flat earthers in here? For real? Oh, I was like, we're going to stop class now. And we're going to reevaluate what we're going to do today. So, flat earth. Like, the earth is flat, right? What else do we know? Say that again. What is that? I don't even know what that is. You're teaching me something. Go for it. Well, I don't know. That's okay. That, that makes it even more fun. About there being, like, a dome over us where the heavens were. Sure. Yeah, that was, like, some of the ancient... Um, I guess maybe not Native Americans, but like ancient people. Uh, a lot of people had the view of uh, that it that the Earth rode on the back of a turtle. Like Native Americans, that was a very common view. Like it rode. Like a lot of a lot of people tried to take what, and it makes sense. Like we know all this extra stuff, but if you were born and you didn't know all the extra stuff going on, if you didn't know we have a sun and we have what used to be nine planets, but now eight planets you know, revolving around it, and we know all these things, right? But if you didn't know those things, and you were just sent to Earth, and you're trying to figure it out, you would try to equate it to, like, what you can see. So a lot of times they equate it to, like, animals. Like, yeah, we're the, the, the Earth is on the back of a, of a turtle crawling around, and, and things like that. Any other things y'all have heard before or think? What's that? The continental drift, that, that things were, were all together one, one giant continent? There used to be a Silk Road, a Silk Bridge. Yeah, the Silk Road. I've never heard that. I've heard of the Silk Road. It was like connected from like Russia to Alaska. Oh, yeah, yeah, okay, I know what you're talking about. So, I got a few things that I've written down. So, Aris, does anybody know who Aristotle is? Yes. He's like super smart, right? So, Aristotle was in 4 B.C., and... Uh, his theory was that, like, the earth literally floated in water, and he believed that the earth floated in water. Like, he was one of the known people that, that people just trusted was Aristotle, but that was what, how he viewed it. Uh, Native Americans, they all thought it was held by a sea turtle, or a lot of them did. Um, Hindus, do y'all know where Hindus are? Uh, India, right? So the Hindus, their belief was that uh, the earth rests on the back of an elephant, who then stands on the back of a turtle. I don't know what it is about turtles, right? Like, why do turtles hold the earth up? Does that make any sense? I learned about this in class 
Go, please tell. On Friday? Yeah. Well, okay, tell me why. So basically, a lot of cultures will see turtles hibernate in like the winter. And uh -huh. so when they come out, they have like dirt on their back. Makes sense. What class did you learn that in? Comparative religion. I mean, where do you go to school? MTSU. They got that class at MTSU. Wow. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> all right, so, and then. We've all heard of Sir Isaac Newton, right? Like super great. He discovered gravity, 1687. He was the kind of the, one of the first people to understand that sun has a, the sun has a gravitational pull on us. And they started figuring out like maybe the sun is suspended in space by like that gravitational pull. So that was, that was him. Now there's probably a whole lot more science there. And, and so, but I don't have time to go through all that and I don't know it all. But what I want you to go back to is Job, and I'll read it. You don't have to turn there if you don't want to. I'll just go ahead and read it. Uh, if you go to Job 26.7, Job 26.7 says this. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. So, so again, I'm going to read that one more time because it sounds really simple, but I think it's really important. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space he suspends the earth over nothing so so basically in Job which was written um, well I thought I wrote down when it was written does anybody know off the top of your head when that book was written a long super time ago thank you um, yeah like the time of Abraham like super long like we're just gonna go with a long time ago you got that on video so um, but the idea of that is this, is they're telling us that the earth is suspended in space. In the Bible, y'all, nobody had that view. Like, if you look at it, everybody was saying, especially back during Abraham's time, like, he's on the back of a turtle, like, or an elephant standing on a turtle. What? Um, or it's just floating in space. And, and here the Bible, years, you know, countless years, before we figured it out by, by Isaac Newton starting that, says, hey, he spreads the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. Like, that's the first time we hear that that, that earth is just suspended over nothing. Until thousands of years later, I'm guessing thousands, right, um, where it's actually proven. So, scientific fact number one. I think that's neat. You may be looking at me going, that's not that cool, but I do. So, anybody got a thought about that before I go to science fact number two? All right. Next one. All right. So, the second fact is this, and I only did four because I figured that's all I'd have time for, but there's like a bunch of them, so y'all can go Google it or something. All right, fact number two. Blood is like liquid of life, okay? So, like the blood that flows through our body is, is what keeps us alive. You think that's pretty common, right? Like, we all understand that. What are some ancient views of blood? Anybody know? Ancient views of, like, what we do with blood or, or things like that. Anybody know? Go ahead. You want me to go ahead? Oh, so who said it? Used for sacrifices a lot. What else we know about blood back in the day? It's kind of a weird question, isn't it? Okay, so they used to let blood out. They used to do what is called bloodletting. In fact, for 10 Bryson books, that's what I used to do when I was a teacher, and kids get excited. 10 Bryson books, who can tell me how our first president died? Big hint, like bloodletting. Nobody got 10 Bryson books. They bloodletted. So, 
George Washington uh, got a cold, right? And one of the, the number one ways to fix people back then was what was called bloodletting, where you would, well, well, I guess, just like cut a vein, and they'd let out a lot of your blood, and they'd get all the bad blood out, and then you'd be okay. So that's how George Washington died, because he had a cold, and they did bloodletting on him. So I'm going to go through a, a few others. I may, this guy can't handle it, man. Is, you don't like blood? Isn't that weird? Isn't that a, especially with a cold. So, all right, let me, yeah, I'm going to read this real quick. All right, ancient medical scholars thought the blood, the body was made up of a lot of different liquids, including blood. Um, because there's no natural way to get rid of blood, they started doing bloodletting. We're just going to keep saying bloodletting for your benefit now. In uh, bloodletting, so they had two different ways. They either used sharpened tools or, has anybody ever seen, what is that movie, Stand By Me? Right? Where they find leeches on them? Wyatt, help me out. Okay. Have anybody heard of a leech? So they use leeches, which are like little bugs that are not bugs, little things, slugs that you put on and they, they get, they're really skinny and then you put them on you and they get really fat because they suck your blood out. Ugh. And if there's a movie called Stand By Me that's got a great scene in it where these kids are like running free and then they swim and then they find out they got leeches. Oh, it's a great movie. You should watch it. Um, Let's see, keep, it's like a giant tick, you're right, like a slug and a tick crossed together. All right, so blood, so here's what I want you to know. Bloodletting was an accept, was the process, the medical procedure used worldwide for 3,000 years because we didn't understand what the role of blood was in our bodies. It makes sense, like you don't know that the blood carries oxygen from your heart to all your, you know, Parts, you know, and that's what that's what blood is there for. But if you didn't know that, you'd have no way of knowing it, right? So um, that's how they did it up until like the late 19th century. So again, proven. I'm gonna read you this that I found on the internet, and it wasn't even Wikipedia, so I believe it. it says one cold night in 1799, George Washington developed a fever and a swollen sore throat. Within hours of falling ill, doctors had drained Washington of almost half his blood. Washington died the next day from what doctors have retrospectively diagnosed as a, a severe throat infection and shock. So we lost our first president because of this like practice that is not scientifically accurate. Um, keep going down. So now we know like if somebody's hurting or sick, they give them blood, right? Because they know that's like the process to help people. Um, so. I want to point out the scripture that kind of reveals that. And it's one of the first times we hear this. So Leviticus, and, and I always call Leviticus this, this is going to be a bad thing. I don't mean it negatively, but like Leviticus is always that book of the Bible. When I decide I'm going to read from the front to the back of the Bible in a year, Leviticus is always that book that throws me off, right? Like it, it, it's a tough one to read because it has all these like, different things you have to follow, like all these ceremonies and all these like describing how the, the tent looked and things like that. But it has a thing about blood. So in Leviticus 17.11, it's just simple. I just took a, a very small part of it. It says this, the life of a creature is in the blood. Like nobody knew that, guys. That was not proven until many, many years later. The book of Leviticus was written as far back as 15th century B.C. And like I said, bloodletting was still being used in 19th century A.D. So somebody who's really smart can do the math and see how long that is. But to me, that's like, all right, 
the person who, who wrote Leviticus through God had extra knowledge that, that nobody else had for thousands of years late, until thousands of years later. The importance of blood. So, science fact number two, like blood is our life. That's how life works, right? We don't need to get rid of it. All right, this one, the science fact number three, is one that's very applicable. So right now we are looking at um, like coronavirus spreading, right? And so, um, by the way, I'm not too worried about coronavirus. I think we'll be all right. Don't stress. But um, so, but I'm not a doctor either. So, you know, but in the age of coronavirus, like quarantining makes sense, right? Why would we quarantine people? Does anybody know what a quarantine is? Yeah. Why do you quarantine people? Simple. So you don't come in contact with other people, right? So uh, we get that. Like quarantining makes sense. Like if, if, if in my family, like I am a germaphobe. You may not remember. She, you used to work in my office. Do you remember how I, I was a germaphobe? I still am. I still am. Like, and I'm a principal in an elementary school. Like, it's a weird combination. But I go through some, some hand sanitizer, and, and, and I'm okay with it, you know? But uh, I am kind of like a germaphobe. So if somebody in my household comes down with an illness, like, we are extreme, and we quarantine them to their room. And they don't come out. Like, we don't give our kids screens or nothing, but when they're sick, like, they can have the iPad for as long as they want. Like, just, just stay in your room. You can come out to go to the bathroom. Because it just makes sense. Like, why would I let him with a flu come and get all of us sick, right? Like, you go to your room and stay there until you're better. Um, and we still love her, but, or love them, but um, quarantining just makes sense. But the practice did not start until 14th century A.D., so let's go through some like ancient times. Second century AD, five million people died from smallpox. Um, I believe it was spread because soldiers came home from like, soldiers would go attack people, come back to Rome, and they'd spread smallpox to everybody. So everybody like just started dying of smallpox. Sixth century AD, 25 million people died in, in Rome from the bubonic plague. Have y'all ever heard of the bubonic plague? Like, it is no joke. One of the interesting things about the bubonic plague is I was studying Rome and, and at that time, and uh, they didn't have sewers back then, right? And so literally what they would do, and this, if, like, the blood stuff made you sick, you may want to, like, put on earmuffs, but um, they would just take their, their, their uh, stuff, you know, like, when they went to the bathroom, and they would just throw it out the windows, you know? And so, like, literally the streets were just raining poop, right? I mean, like, it's disgusting, but... That's kind of how it spread. They, they had no clue that having their, their uh, bathroom stuff out there was making them all sick. It didn't make any sense to them, so they just kept doing it. So by the time they were done with that plague, 25 million people died. Uh, and then in mid-century, or in the 14th century AD, another bubonic plague came back and killed about up to 200 million people in Europe and Asia, called the Black Death. And what happened is it came when people would go to Asia and they would dock in Italy and then they spread it through all of Europe, the Black Death. And another bad plague. But here's, here's the deal. They had no clue to understand why people were dying. Like, if you were in a household and that table right there was a household and, and uh, one of y'all got this plague, they didn't realize that, okay, if we're just hanging out with each other, the other four of us are going to get the plague as well. It, it was not discovered yet. So households, one person would get it, and then they'd all just die because they didn't do any kind of quarantining. So that's what I tell my kids when I make them go in their room. No. Um, 
But then, so let's go to our, uh, back to Leviticus. Because I'll say this, you know, um, scientific research has found that quarantining is a, one of the most, is the most powerful way to, to contain spreading disease. Makes sense. And God is like the first person to warn us of this thousands of years before we realize what it can do. So, fact number, or fact three, quarantining is good for spreading, not spreading diseases. So, in Leviticus 13, 44, y'all ready? It says, the man is diseased, he is unclean. The priest must pronounce him unclean because of the infection on his head. The diseased person must wear tour clothes and let her, their hair hang loose. He must cover his mouth and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as he has the infection, he remains unclean. He must live out, he must live alone in a place outside the camp. Now had those people who, who got hit with the bubonic plagues, those 200 plus million people who died, had they followed like this advice that was given to us by God thousands of years before those plagues hit, the spread would not have happened. They would have known that like if you have the disease, you need to stay away from other people. Like this is unheard of up until like more recently. Like people are sick. Don't be near them. It's because they didn't understand that we have these germs that are invisible and can spread. But that's fact number three, all right? It's Leviticus 13, 40, well, uh, 44 through 46. Any questions, by the way, before I go to science fact number four? This one's not really a science fact, but it kind of is. Any thoughts? I'll pause for a second. Any thoughts? All right. So science fact number four is this. A positive outlook benefits your physical health. Like, that's kind of a weird thing. So, um, so, you know, this is an idea like the healing power of optimism. Have you guys ever studied that, like how being optimistic or positive can benefit people? It's like really a, a factual thing. Um, you know, they, they found that like people who laugh every day are typically more healthier than people who don't laugh. I don't know how you evaluate that, but, you know, they say they do it. So, um, there's also like, Studies that show people that, that, that look on the bright side of things compared to those who are more pessimistic live, you know, a couple years longer just on average just because of the way that they view life. So, you know, be positive. If you're one of those glasses half empty people, look, say the glass is half full. But this was not embraced by, by the medical world until the 20th century. And when I say embraced by the medical world, it truly is embraced by the medical world. I'll read you the two different ones I got. So, um... There's two hospitals, the Mayo Clinic, which y'all probably have heard of, right? And John Hopkins, which is, I feel like where a lot of really smart people work. I don't know much about John Hopkins, but that's what I, when I hear that name, that's what I think of. So um, the Mayo Clinic recently pointed out in a study that positive thinking improves cardiovascular health, reduces stress, increases lifespan, lowers rates of depression, boosts immunity, and enhances coping abilities during times of hardship. Like thinking positive is a really good thing. One day, y'all should just have, when I'm done teaching, you should have a teacher come in and just like teach on like positive thinking because I think sometimes people struggle with that. Um, the next one says, John Hopkins has found that people with a family history of uh, heart disease who possess a positive outlook are one-third less likely to suffer, suffer a heart attack, um, which is just kind of neat. So it's weird to me to think like, 
when I'm presenting scientific facts, like the positive outlook, how does that kind of flow? But, but, I, but it does. So uh, the intent I want you to see is the, the Bible, once again, years before anybody else knew it, was spot on with something that is proven to be correct, that nobody else would have thought. So, um, God cares about our well-being. He teaches that. Um, in the book of Proverbs, he says this. And there's more than this one, but this is the one I'm going to use. There's two. In Proverbs 17, 22, it says, A cheerful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And uh, in Proverbs 14, 30, he goes on to say this. A heart at peace gives light to, life to the body. Uh, you know, and, and so, and really in Proverbs, there's even more. Those were the two I, I, I hit on. It's this idea of this, like, God is telling us right there, y'all, the way you view life impacts kind of how life goes, right? Your outlook on life can change your health, can improve your health, can change so many different things. That wasn't discovered until recently, y'all. So, um, I just think it's neat, and it's been neat for me. As I like have studied this last night or yesterday was a really fun day for me because y'all I'm 40 years old But there's times sometimes where I get bombarded. And I'm like man. My faith is struggling like I'll be real with y'all so there's times that it does just kind of struggle because um, I Just am surrounded by so many friends and loved ones who don't have the same viewpoint as me And we're just always having those conversations, right? And sometimes it's easy for me to be like well, they may be right like maybe God, you know, maybe, the, maybe I'm wrong about all this. But then whenever I spend any time really studying what I know to be true, it just builds me up and it just makes my faith just grow. And so yesterday, I spent like three hours just looking up things like this. And, and it just really, and I, and I share that for this, is like take time to do that sometimes. Like just times to just like reinforce what you think you know is true, because it is, y'all. And, and, and when I was studying this, I just kept going back. I picked four because we're out of time, and I knew four, and as much as I talked, would be all I would be able to get to. But there was like 40 of these that I could have pulled from. And each time I went through one, I'd be like, man, God was spot on. God really knows what's best. God really has been showing us all along, like, hey, y'all, Look, I put it in the Bible in Leviticus, quit putting sick people around. If you were to read this, we'll know better. You know, things like that. Like God, he's the ultimate scientist, man. So, um, I'm going to end on that. I'm going to close in prayer, and, and I'm going to say this. Like, I do want to be real. Like, I was bragging on this group last night to my buddy. Because when I teach in here, and, and, and again, those of you who are visiting, who are probably from here and are here in the summers, it's probably true for you too. But every time I teach in here, I think, this is a group of young men and young women that think, that really think, and they know more than I knew when I was like, however old you are. When I was t that age from 18 to 25, I didn't know anything. And I didn't care to know anything, really. I, I didn't. But when I, when I talk to y'all, you guys really think about stuff, and that is so impactful. So don't stop thinking because even if you're wrong, sometimes thinking still makes you grow, right? So, so continue to be those kind of people because, um, man, there's just not enough of, of y'all out there. So uh, I'm going to close it in prayer, and I appreciate y'all, again, just being good listeners. So, uh, Father God, we just come to you this morning, and we just, uh, you know, just thank you. Thank you for just being the God of science, God, and help us to know that, that you 
and science go hand in hand, Father. Uh, I just pray for these, these young men and young women in this class, God. I just pray that you just help them to continue just to think, to, to study, to learn more about you every day, Father. And I just pray um, they're just out there just being bold and, and, and bringing others to Christ daily, Father. But be with them on spring break, Father. Help them to re, kind of re, recoup and get their energy back for a good end of the semester, Father. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank y'all.